0: As we continue throughout this season of Lent, I wanna give special thanks to Pastor Janet for sharing with us last week and helping us launch into this Lenten season. Today, we're gonna continue to do that as we continue to dive into the Gospel of Mark. And so as we do that today, would you join with me in prayer? Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Part of what we want to be doing as we're diving into Mark today and from last week and moving forward throughout Lent is to examine carefully the real and authentic life of Jesus. And we want to do that because by examining his real and authentic life, it will help us to live real and authentic lives. And to be really clear, by real, what we mean is that Jesus actually existed. He wasn't imagined or made up or supposed. He's actual. He's real. He is true. And because he is real, it allows us to relate to him because he knows every single thing that you and I go through. He lived a real life on earth. So Jesus knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to get too hot or too cold. He knows what it's like to have bad breath. He knows what it's like to have experiences that are good with your friends and hard with your friends. He knows what it's like to not be a celebrity, to just be an everyday normal person. He also knows what it's like to live in the highs and lows that come with everyday life. He knows what it's like to face temptations. He knows what it's like to have family struggles. (laughs) He knows what it's like to be at a party, just hanging out with your friends and connecting. He knows all of these things because he lived them in a real way. And therefore, he understands for us in a real way all the things that we go through as well. And in the midst of all of the ordinariness that Jesus lived into, he also demonstrated for us what a faithful life looked like and what a faithful life could be. You've probably heard the phrase somewhere along the line, do as I say, not as I do. We say that because it's easy to say the right thing. It's much more difficult to do the right thing. But Jesus did not just tell us what to do. He didn't just say it. He did it. He lived it. He modeled it in a very real way. He embodied love in the most significant way possible. And in this way, Jesus walked as the most authentic human being ever to walk the face of the earth. So again, we're gonna take some time in this Lenten season to examine his life in a real and authentic way so that we can live into those elements ourselves. We want to know that we can live authentically, tangibly, significantly into faith in Christ no matter what our circumstances might be. And that's what this sermon series is all about. So that no matter what you're facing right now, we can look to Christ who will help us live real faith in real circumstances. At the same time, we are focusing on the authenticity of Jesus, and that's very similar to being real. But at the same time, we know that being authentic, it has this interesting component to it. On the one hand, when we are truly authentic, we do not just conform to the rest of the world. We do our own thing. We live into who we uniquely are. So in that way, we do not conform to the rest of the world. But at the same time, we are attracted, all of us, to authenticity because we all crave authenticity. There's something about it that draws us in. And so again, we discovered this in the life of Jesus, and that's what we as Christ followers want to do as well. We want to not conform in always to the world, but at the same time, live in a way that draws others in to experience God's love and grace for themselves in a very real way. One of the things that I enjoy about each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is they are authentic to themselves. They all tell the story of Jesus, but they do it in their own ways. So John is the theological one. He includes lots of theology and some philosophy in his work and sharing about Jesus and his gospel. Luke is the gospel for the outsiders, the Gentiles. He's always remembering the forgotten and those on the fringe. He's the one who shares the powerful story of the prodigal son. Matthew is written for the insiders. He writes primarily to those within the Jewish tradition. He writes with those who would have had some familiarity with the Old Testament. And then there's the Gospel of Mark, which is what we're going to be focusing on throughout this season of Lent. I think Mark is a really interesting gospel at many levels. First of all, Mark's the earliest gospel. Also, Mark is the shortest gospel. Mark is the most direct gospel. He shares the least details of any of the gospels. And Mark moves fast. <laughs> For those of you who like fast paced and being on the go, uh, Mark is your gospel. There's almost a breathless nature to Mark. And I'm, I'm tempted even right now to say to you, wherever you are, just to get up and do a few sprints somewhere. And as soon as you're a little bit out of breath, pause and take note of that, because that's what it's like going through the gospel of Mark. He is fast-paced, almost leaving you breathless. He's always moving on to the next thing. It's almost like he's worried he's not going to fit the whole story in. There's an urgency to his sharing. So if you look with me just in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, we start to see right away how quickly he is moving. Now, Pastor Janet reminded us last week of a couple of the elements in chapter one of Mark, but I wanna walk you through those and a few more. And all of this that I'm about to share with you is happening just in Mark, just in chapter one. So we hear about crazy John the Baptist. Uh, If That was a real and authentic dude, if ever there was one. We move on from John the Baptist to the baptism of Jesus, and then Jesus being tempted in the desert with Satan and the wild animals. Then we move to Jesus calling his first four disciples, and then we find Jesus teaching in Capernaum. Then we find Jesus casting out an evil spirit. Then we find Jesus healing Peter's mother and others. Then we find Jesus seeking solitude in the morning by himself. Then we find Jesus teaching and preaching and driving out demons throughout Galilee. Then we find Jesus healing a man with leprosy. And then we find the news of Jesus spreading so fast he couldn't go anywhere without people recognizing him. It is all in chapter one. If it leaves you breathless, that's kind of what Mark does. He just moves right along and he wants to cover so much territory so quickly. There is no time to waste for Mark. What is it in all the rushing though that Mark wants us to notice? What is it he's trying to get us to understand? I think we're given a pretty good clue in today's scripture passage. So look with me in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, we hear this. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them." Or Mark chapter 1, verses 33 and 34, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And Mark 1, 39, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. As we look at this in Mark, it quickly becomes clear that when it comes to discovering authentic life in and through Jesus, there's a whole lot of healing that's going on. Healing is a really big deal when it comes to the Gospels. In fact, get this. There are more verses devoted to the healing that Jesus offers in and through his ministry, including physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and raising people from the dead, then there is description even of the experience of salvation in Christ. Among all the activities recorded of Jesus in the Gospels, healing the sick and casting out the demons are the most common. By healing, we mean a restoring of God's intended best for us as reflected in the original creation. In fact, most of the miracles that Jesus does, that's exactly what they offer, a getting folks back to how they were intended to be at the original creation. So when Jesus heals somebody and their sight is restored, that's because that's how God had originally made them. We're intended to have sight. Or when Jesus heals them from sickness, the reason that the sickness is cast out of them is because we were intended to be healthy. He's getting us back to the way God intended us to be. When Jesus casts out a demon, it's because we weren't meant to live with demons within us. When Jesus provides food for people to eat, it's because we weren't meant to be hungry. No less than 72 times in the four Gospels, we hear of Jesus healing or casting out demons. And more than any of the other Gospels, Mark focuses on this issue of healing. In fact, almost a third of Mark is devoted to the miracles of Jesus, including in the first 10 chapters of Mark, almost half of those verses are devoted to some kind of healing. So healings are really, really big deal for Mark. And you've already heard, we've only gone through part of chapter one, and already we're getting a focus on Jesus as healer. So Mark understands we can't fully understand who Jesus is unless we begin to understand in part that he is healer. Part of the real and authentic Jesus is that he is healer. Now, I find this interesting because at least in my lifetime, I haven't heard a ton about Jesus as healer within the church. I think healing is one of those things, we like it in theory, we believe it could happen, but we're really not sure in reality how it works, so we tend to push it aside, at least in our Western culture. Or the only way that we think that we can get towards healing is to offer words. But to only ever offer words towards healing is an anemic response to the power of God and the healing power that God can offer through God's people. Remember that we find that in the life of Jesus, his words were always paired with action. He didn't just talk about things. He actually restored health. He actually provided food. He actually exercised demons and so much more. So that in this way, in the ministry of Jesus, it becomes a healing ministry. According to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we hear that Jesus came to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God to earth. And God's church today is called to do the same thing. So if you and I are going to live in a real way and authentic way as Jesus followers, part of what that means is that we too are called to be a healing people. Might it once again be time for God's church to step up as healers in this world so that in a time of massive physical sickness, all this stuff with COVID, in a time of massive emotional turmoil, from the isolation and lack of connection that we have, in a time of great mental anguish from the struggles and the sharp divisions and the fighting and the war that we're seeing going on in our world, in a time of incredible spiritual pain, might it be time for God's people again to step up and offer the healing that can only be found in Jesus Christ? Mark makes it incredibly clear today that healing is a key characteristic of the people of God. It's almost like Mark is saying, before you tell them about Jesus, show them Jesus through the power of healing. I think that there's little doubt that part of a real walk with Christ, part of sharing the love of Christ in an authentic way as the people of God, is to offer healing in the midst of that sharing. But here's the rub. I don't think too many of us would disagree that we want to be healers in our world. But here's the rub. Here's the question. How? How do we authentically offer God's healing touch in the real world? Right here and right now. I think the scriptures that we've reviewed today offer us some guidance. And so at a really practical level, I want us to understand these so that we can begin to be healers in our world. First of all, number one, choose to care. Wherever you are, I just invite you to repeat that. Choose to care. We begin to understand that healing is only going to be offered when we choose to care about those around us who are in need of healing. A few weeks ago i was in a store and apparently there was uh, somebody that i know who i didn't see at the moment and later on i got a text from them and they said hey i saw you at the store but you didn't see me well the reason i didn't say hello to the individuals because i literally hadn't seen them we can only respond to that which we see similarly many of us are surrounded by people in need of healing but the question becomes do we see those people in need of healing and do we desire to care for them in the midst of the healing they need? Today in scripture, we see that Jesus cares. He actually sees those around him and he has compassion on them. So we have Peter's mother-in-law. She's suffering and Jesus has compassion on her. He sees her. He cares for her. And notice that the care involves both physical healing and offering Uh, healing from those suffering with demons. So we're going to see Jesus offer physical healing from sickness, but we also will see Jesus casting out demons. Now, I think for many of us, we get the idea of healing from physical ailments. We're somewhat familiar with what that looks like. You know, we think about healing from COVID-19 or heart issues or from cancer. We can sort of understand those in the physical realm. But for many of us, it becomes more difficult to get our mind around the idea of healing regarding the casting out of demons. And some of us might even wonder, do demons exist? And the short answer is, they do. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time today to dive deeply into what that means, but I do just wanna say this. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that demons do exist. Talk to almost any foreign missionary, and they will tell you of the times that they've encountered individuals struggling with demonic possession. However, when it comes to demons, I would suggest to us we need to avoid two extremes. And the two extremes are to say that number one, no demons at all exist, because that is not true. Nor do we wanna say there's a demon behind every single bush or every single thing that happens in this world that would be giving too much credit to demons. But we do wanna recognize that demons are part of the spiritual reality in which we operate. So, part of offering healing in our world is to understand the needs that are before us and to see those and to care about them, whether physical in nature or spiritual or emotional or mental. And again, simply to care and desire to make a difference. That begins to be the first step towards healing as we seek to simply care for others. At the same time, we want to offer real action to real needs. So, again, just invite you to say that where you are offer real action to real needs. So once we see the need, we wanna respond to it somehow. And it's great to offer words of sympathy. Words are incredibly powerful, but we have to do more than just offer words. And the way that Jesus frequently does this is he offers touch. He lays his hands in a tangible way on those who are sick. In other words, Jesus meets people where they are. He's not afraid to get into the messiness with them. And Christians throughout the centuries, they've done a remarkable job of this. It is so easy to forget that pandemics have existed throughout the history of humanity. As difficult as COVID-19 has been and is, it's not the first pandemic to hit humanity. There was the bubonic plague, which killed 30 to 50 million people. There was the Black Death that spread across Europe, Asia, and Africa in the 14th century. It wiped out a third of all people on earth. Smallpox lasted more than 300 years and killed about 56 million people. The Spanish flu in Europe and in the U.S. saw four different waves from 1918 to 1920 that killed 40 to 50 million people. And through it all, God's people cared. And they did more than just offer words. They took action to bring healing. In fact, Christians became known as the first passionate responders, even at the risk of their own well-being, because Christians are motivated at their core conviction that everybody is of worth and everybody is made in the image of God. And so Christians cared not only for their own, not only other Christians, but because they cared so generously for others, because they believe everybody was made in the image of God and is made in the image of God, they cared for those outside the Christian community as well even those who are persecuting them. So how exactly have Christians put into action their care towards healing throughout the centuries? Well, people like Eusebius, who was a bishop way back in the day, uh, in the fourth century, he wrote that the response of the Christians at that time was so compassionate to the war, to the famine, to the plague of the time, that it's, he says, their deeds, the deeds of the Christians were on everyone else's lips. In other words, others were taking notice. Imagine if right now in a doubting, hurting world, that was the response of people today to God's people, Christians. In the late 4th century, hospitals were first created through the efforts of Basil the Great and a gentleman named John Chrysostom. How was it that a tiny little religious sect around 30 AD grew to a worldwide following, including millions and millions of people? There's a sociologist named Rodney Stark, and in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he remarks that when everyone else ran and hid, Christians remained to care for the sick. Specifically, he comments that it was Christianity that revitalized the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships to cope with many urban problems. So to cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christians offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christians offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christians provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn apart by violence and ethnic strife, Christians offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities, Facing epidemics of fire and earthquake, Christians offered effective nursing services. Over and over, we hear how Christians were offering healing right where they were. They did more than just talk about it. They gave action to their words. What might that look like for us today? Part of what that means for us in our immediate context in our community connected with First Church are things like Code Blue and First Night, on Wednesday evenings and transform in the summer to serve our neighbors and to support different agencies through our second mile giving efforts to provide healing to those in need. What action today might God be putting on your heart to offer healing to those right where we are? So we care, we put into action, we also allow margin for healing interruptions. I told you Mark was a fast paced gospel. And that's so appropriate for many of us because many of us live fast-paced lives. Many of us have super busy lives. I would guess for most of us, it's not that we do not care. I think we do care. I think many of us want to offer healing, but life becomes so busy that there's no room for margin. There's no bandwidth for anything extra. And so when we run into somebody in need of healing, we tend to think I'd like to, but I just don't have the time or capacity or bandwidth to help. Look what Jesus does. Look in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We hear very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus needed strength, and what did he do? He went off to pray. He disconnected with others so that he might connect with God. It would appear almost that Jesus drew more strength from praying than he even did from sleeping. And so that's something that we should pay attention to. Jesus has margin in his life to be with God from which he is nourished and strengthened so that there's margin in the rest of his life. We see Jesus even on a super crazy busy day carving out space for margin so that he could operate at a sustainable pace over time. Despite the incredibly busy schedule Jesus had at times, he never seemed to be in a hurry because he has margin built into his life. I've shared with you that in our house, uh, Jen, I will confess, my wife, she is much better at margin most of the time than I am. Um, I don't like to be late, but I really don't like to be overly early either because I'm one of those people, I wanna work up to that very last second and get as much done as I can and then rush off to meet someone. And again, I don't wanna be late. So guess what happens in that? I leave myself very little margin to get from A to B. And then if I get behind even one slow car, If I even even hit one extra red light, guess what happens to my blood pressure? It goes sky high and I find myself getting all frustrated and thinking, I can't believe this is happening, which is ridiculous. But it's all happening because I don't leave margin. And my lack of margin helps me then not only to feel stressed, but it causes me to not see the needs around me. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. We live such packed lives that it's difficult to see the needs around us and then have the space to respond and love and care and take action and offer healing. But it wasn't like that with Jesus. He had a different rhythm, a sustainable rhythm, a rhythm that allowed for margin. I've said to you that Jen is way better at margin most of the time than me. She frequently says to me, Matt, you have to build margin into your life. And I think that's why so often it's Jen that encounters the cashier at the grocery store and has a way of not being rushed and can connect with them and somehow ends up hearing the life story of that checkout clerk. It's Jen that will come home and tell me about an individual that she got to sit with for an hour who's just going through a difficult time. It's Jen who will notice the the man without food and will find a way to get him some. She can offer that healing because there's some margin in her life. How about us? How do we authentically offer God's healing touch in the real world? We do all these things we've mentioned, but we also recognize we offer healing on God's timetable, not our own. Now, all I want to say on this particular practical point is that it's always Jesus who's responsible for the healing, not us. We play a part, we do what we can, but it's ultimately Jesus who heals. I wish I could tell you today why some prayers seem to be answered immediately and why others seem to take so much longer. But what I can tell you is that the healing of Jesus cannot be captured or controlled. It's not something we can just put in a bottle and sprinkle about as we desire. So we join with God in the healing. We don't play the role of God. We trust God and God's timing to be the one to offer the healing as God sees fit. If we offer ourselves for healing, we know God will do the rest on God's time, on God's timetable, not our own. I've been so encouraged by the ways that I see God using you to bring about healing in our world, church. Every time we support our second mile giving opportunities, Places like Dwell to bring healing for children suffering from trauma and isolation. When we support IJM, International Justice Mission, to help free children from slavery. When we help support Family Promise and we help families have shelter. When we support Expectations and we support moms and their children coming into this world. We are offering healing. Church, when you make Code Blue happen, you are helping healing from those suffering from extreme cold and the elements of the weather. Church, when you offer first night on Wednesday nights, you are helping in healing by offering food so we don't have to suffer, those among us don't have to suffer from hunger. When we come together and worship, we can experience healing in the presence of God. All of these things happen because of your willingness to act and partner with God in God's timing. And finally, we realize today that when it comes to healing, God's healing always wins always. Please hear me today when I say to you, Jesus is always stronger, always more powerful than any demonic force in this world or any sickness that we encounter. Always, always, always. Always. Today we see in scripture that broken bodies are restored. Demons flee at the name of Jesus. That was true in the time of Jesus, and it is true today. The name of Jesus still bears authority to send demons fleeing and to set the world right. Through the name of Jesus, people are restored into their right minds and right positions as sons and daughters of the living God. And so we dare not believe that the God who has offered healing in the past will fail to do so today or into tomorrow. The healing does not occur because we are perfect. The healing occurs because God Almighty is perfect. In fact, do you remember what happened in the healings in today's passage in Mark? It's what Pastor Janet referred to last week. Before the healing came, there was first of all repentance. So in God's upside down world, we realize that yet again, the way to healing is first of all, to confess our brokenness and offer it to God. The way up is so often down, and this happens through our repentance. And it's why repentance is ultimately a good thing instead of a negative thing. And so today, I wanna ask you, what is the first step of healing that we need to take today, that we can offer in a real and authentic way in the model of Christ himself healing in our world? Is it first taking some time to repent? Is it just to take time to notice and care for the needs around us? Is it to learn to take action and do a little bit more than just offer words? Is it to create some space, some margin in our life to allow space for healing interruptions? Is it to leave the healing ultimately in God's hands rather than our own? Is it to hope that in the end, to know God's love, God's healing always wins? I've shared with you that we seek to be a community of healing. In the last few weeks, I've been encouraged to see that healing in a number of ways. I was so encouraged uh, that just a few weeks ago, we had a family of six, two parents and four young kids come and share in our meal on a Wednesday night. When they came in, they were in need of some food and our volunteers immediately surrounded them and sat with them and fed them. But then beyond that, that particular family needed some help. They didn't have anywhere to go that night. And so our folks were able to quickly connect them with our code blue folks to provide shelter for them overnight. And from there, they were able to help that family then connect and get some other resources that they needed. I rejoice that that healing could happen in that way, in a physical way for that family, for those couple of days, and then setting them up for the weeks that were to follow. Similarly, we all right now have our own hearts hurting for all that's happening in the Ukraine. And I wanted to share with you and to thank you that because of your support in our conference, we get to support things like Mission Central. And Mission Central supplies resources around the world. And right now, those resources are going to places like Ukraine. Specifically items such as uh, medical dressings, antiseptic treatments, uh, isolation gowns, uh, syringes that they need, uh, medicines are all being supplied. Uh, There was a woman named Tatiana and her husband, they're the ones in the Ukraine receiving these supplies, and they were sharing that here were some of the things going on in the Ukraine. What it's like to live there right now are that homes are being bombed, individuals are sitting or have been sitting in bunkers for over a week, there are nursing home challenges, we have moms who are giving birth literally underground, there are people who have had to run out of their homes with nothing more than the clothes literally on their back. And the supplies that you are helping to provide can provide healing for them in those circumstances that they are now encountering. Thank you for doing that, church. Thank you for helping to offer healing where it is most needed. Moving forward, we will be a people who absolutely seek to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And we will be a people who seek to preach in the name of Jesus Christ and at the same time, we increasingly will seek to be a people who offer healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Will you join with us together that we might offer healing, not only in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and right here in our own community, but beyond, so that the fullness of the kingdom of God, including all the healing that only God Almighty can offer, can be experienced in a real and authentic way among us because once again today we have the chance to offer God's love and God's healing in a very real and tangible way. And so I invite us to join with God to offer that healing in our world.